Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 98. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Mr. McDonough, are, would you commit to me that you're a fan of the Chiefs? <laughs> uh, Senator Moran, I, I, um, I'm a big fan of Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I'm, but I'm a Vikings fan, and I I hate to admit that I, I kind of I'm kind of old school that way. So, well, you could have answered the question in a worse way. Uh, so, <laughs> ha ha ha, it's all funny. Ha 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 ha, very funny. That's Republican Senator Jerry Moran, ranking member of the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, who's from Kansas, asking President Biden's nominee for VA Secretary. Dennis McDonough, the single hardest question he got in two full hours of hearings to determine whether or not the Senate should vote to approve McDonough's nomination to become head of the second largest agency in the entire federal government. That's the hardest question he got in a hearing to determine who will lead the Department of Veterans Affairs in tackling COVID, suicide, homelessness, sexual assault, white nationalism, burn pit exposure, and much more. Ha, ha, ha. It's all one big laugh. It's all one big love fest. It's all one big club. And my knock is not on McDonough, except that he accepted the nomination and really thinks he's qualified or suitable. He's an impressive guy, but he's totally wrong for the job. As I laid out in previous shows, and as I think he showed in the hearing this week. But my knock is not on him. My knock is on the Senate for this sham of a confirmation hearing. A confirmation hearing for a critical job that might have the highest turnover rate in the entire cabinet. VA secretary is always the easiest confirmation vote in the Senate. It also probably has the highest resignation in scandal rate of any secretary role in the cabinet. The VA goes through secretaries faster than the Detroit Lions or the Arizona Cardinals in the NFL go through head coaches. The Lions have had 27 coaches in 87 years. That's a new Lions coach every three years. The Cardinals have had 42 coaches in 99 years. That's a new coach every 2.4 years. The VA has seen five of the last nine secretaries go down. That doesn't even include the last one, Robert Wilkie, who every vets group in America called on to resign, and he refused. So more than half of the nine VA secretaries have resigned in scandal or been driven out. Five out of nine, and it should be six out of ten. And that's ten total since the VA only became a cabinet-level position in 1989. Six out of ten have gone down since 1989. And the Senate asked Dennis McDonough, a total of zero hard questions. They asked him to profess his love for the Kansas City Chiefs. But here's how most of the questions today went. Senator X says, Hi, I introduced legislation XYZ to support veterans in my state. Will you commit to supporting this legislation? Also, will you please commit to visiting my state? That's how the questions went for two hours. The VA secretary continues to be possibly the easiest hearing in all of Washington. Now, here's a question I would have liked to have heard McDonough answer. Can you please talk us through the process of filing a disability claim? Or you were Obama's chief of staff during the biggest VA scandal in history. What could you, the president, and then VA secretary Shinseki have done differently in all those days leading up to Shinseki's resignation? Or since he's not a veteran, we could ask, how would you ensure that you have the expertise and cultural competence to understand a community you're not a part of, served by an agency you've never worked for, and provide services you yourself don't qualify for? But he didn't get any hard questions like that. This is also a good time to mention it would be awesome if there were more than just a few veterans on the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee. Most of the high-profile vets in the Senate like Tammy Duckworth and Tom Cotton, are not even on the committee. They usually want to be on armed services, not on the Veterans Affairs Committee. 
And so not a lot of inspiration or energy from Dennis McDonough today at all. Now imagine the excitement across the veterans community and maybe even across the country if one of our own was up there today. Imagine how many would join the fight to stomp out sexual assault, to help distribute the vaccine, and sign up to work at the VA if someone like Senator Tammy Duckworth or General Nadja West was the nominee instead. Imagine if the Senate gave a fuck enough to really ask hard questions. This is not just about VA or the VA secretary. It's about our broken politics. It's about elected leaders who pat themselves on the back and deepen the swamp as our country burns. And as it burned for the last four years, nearly to the ground. Now, I want to be optimistic about a new president, a new Senate, new House leadership. And sometimes I am. I'm encouraged to see Biden slamming out executive orders. But most of them are reversing crazy shit that Trump did and never should have happened in the first place. From the Muslim travel ban to abandoning NATO to pulling out of the Paris Accords to banning trans people from serving in the military, it's been one giant cleanup effort. It's necessary, but shit, it was bad. And we have a lot more cleaning up to do. And it's going to be hard to clean it all up if the Senate and all our elected officials sit around giving people a pass before they assume leadership in government and assume a spot in the succession of command. Someone like soon-to-be VA Secretary Dennis McDonough isn't just a leader of that massive agency. One day, for an event in the next few years, he might be the designated survivor. He might be the person who has to take over if the entire cabinet is killed, say, at the State of the Union. That used to be the stuff of TV shows and fantasies. But since domestic terrorists took over the Capitol a few weeks ago and tried to kill the vice president and speaker of the House, it's no longer crazy or unimaginable. So yes, I want the Senate to vet every nominee for every cabinet position with vigor. I want confirmation hearings to be a crucible because we need to ensure that they're up for it. Because one day, that nominee might have to be president. Now, there's still a lot to be vigilant about and a lot that's keeping me up at night. But I have slept better every night this week knowing that Trump no longer has access to our military and to our nukes. And it was the first Friday night I can remember where we could just relax and watch Netflix and have some drinks without Twitter blowing up with some crazy shit that President Mayhem had started. Things are a bit calmer. But stakes is still high, as high as ever. And we're going to continue to break it down. This is not the time to rest or even celebrate. That time is over. This is the time to stay vigilant and to work. Because America's enemies are working. And the virus is working. And the Proud Boys are working. Thousands of National Guard troops are still in Washington right now. And they will be for months. Want to know why? One reason is because there is deep concern that conspiracy theorists are looking to attack again on March 4th. March 4th. Why March 4th? Because March 4th was the original inauguration day until the 20th Amendment changed it in 1933. So yeah, we'll be needing those National Guard troops there. And much more. Because the alarm bells are going off just like before January 6th when domestic terrorists hit the Capitol. And since January 6th, the alarm bells have really never turned off. And the latest one is from the Department of Homeland Security. This week, DHS issued its first ever national terrorism bulletin about violent domestic extremists, warning that they could attack in the coming weeks, emboldened by the January 6th attack on the Capitol. DHS is warning that violent extremists opposed to the government and the presidential transition, quote, could continue to mobilize to incite or commit violence. The department said it doesn't have evidence of a specific plot, or they didn't disclose it, which would be smart. But they did warn us that violent extremists have been, quote, motivated by a range of issues, including anger over COVID-19 restrictions, the 2020 election results, the police use of force, as well as long-standing racial and ethnic tension, including opposition to immigration. 
So the alarm bells are going off again. Now, DHS has issued terrorism bulletins before, but those were usually focused on foreign threats. This advisory is notable because it focuses on domestic violent extremists. There's never been a bulletin like that published before by the DHS. So as I've warned, and as a number of our guests have warned, 2021 could be a very violent year, a year of a true domestic insurgency, an insurgency that morphs and grows and pops up and gets knocked down like a violent game of whack-a-mole. And extremism experts are warning about possible violence surrounding Trump's upcoming impeachment and around March 4th, the nation's original inauguration day. And now the day that QAnon conspiracy theorists say could be the day that Trump again becomes president. So, Happy New Year, America. 2021 is already awesome. If you thought you were just going to chill and boycott my pillow and have a couple of drinks and watch The Bachelor, I'm sorry. It's not going to be that easy. There is still plenty of reason to be angry. But now, more than ever, we all need to turn that anger into positive impact and be thoughtful about our anger. And maybe just have less anger, more independence, more healthy skepticism, more good information, more vigilance, and more conversations with important leaders like our guest in this episode. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag drifting through the wind, wanting to start again? Do you ever feel, feel so paper thin, like a house of cards, one blow from caving in? Charlotte Clymer is back. She's a fighter that helped us through the last four years and will help us through whatever comes next. If you've been listening for a bit, you remember her from episode 65 last June. It was our Pride Month special. Charlotte Clymer is an Army veteran, an activist, a patriot, and one of the most influential trans activists in the world. She's gone from a trailer park in Texas to infantry basic training at Fort Benning to advocating for transgender people worldwide. Charlotte's a fighter for herself and for others. Tough, patriotic, and sharp, she burst onto the political scene in 2018 after being denied access to a Washington, D.C. restaurant bathroom. She's a powerhouse on Twitter, she's all over the speaking circuit, and she's just taken on a new role that she'll tell you more about. She's written for Glamour, Vice, NBC, and been a commentator on CBS News Sunday morning. As a soldier... Charlotte carried the caskets of Americans killed in action. As an activist, she's carried the stories of countless unheard voices. It's a rapid-fire conversation with an important, inspiring, and iconic American changing the face of America's past, present, and future. We break down the trans ban, the McDonough hearing, white nationalism, Biden's start to his presidency, the growing insurgency, and pancakes versus waffles. I love Charlotte, and we'll break down the latest with fire, wit, and independence, and always a focus on the national security issues we all need to track on. It's a new year, and this show will continue to evolve. We'll improvise, adapt, and overcome, and as times are changing fast, we'll need to change fast too. But no matter what happens, I want to bring you light to contrast the heat, content, and conversations to help you through it, enveloped always with the five eyes independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. We're deep into it now. I hope you were able to catch your breath for a day or two, because now we're deep in to the hardest winter of our lifetime. And it's likely to get harder, but we can handle it. We got to keep the flame. We can rise to the moment and be like fireworks. Welcome to a new year, different from the last year, but far from clear and calm. Welcome to the long haul. When the winter gets darkest and coldest, that's when you need a flame the most. A spark to keep you warm and to light the way. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 98.
Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans, independent Americans, inspired American, concerned Americans, worried Americans around the country and around the world. Uh, I am very happy at this moment in time to bring back a returning champion, one of the most popular guests we've had on the show in the last year, one of the most dynamic guests and one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter and know and root for, uh, the great and powerful Charlotte Clymer returns to Angry Americans. Welcome back, Charlotte. Paul, my friend, the legend, the man, <laughs> I cannot wait to get into these topics with you. I'm so excited. Your star continues to rise since we spoke last June, um, which is exciting. Um, your background is is improved. Um, you look like you're in a really cool studio. Um, and I am I'm excited to talk to you for a number of reasons. But you're also one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter because you are often leading the conversation. You're often driving, you know, advocating for things that might be off people's radar. You're also advocating for pop culture shit that I love or, or, or don't <laughs> know about and should love. Um, so, uh, so it's good to have you back. But last time we talked, it was June. Uh, Trump was like deep into ripping apart the entire country. We didn't know what was to come. It was Pride Month. Um, we talked a lot about your advocacy and your background and what you were working on. But now we have a new president. We have a new vice president. Uh, how do you feel? And, and what, where do you think we are as a country right now, this many months later? So I don't want to give anyone overconfidence at all because we, we have real problems to tackle. But if you had told me that we'd be in mid-January with the White House, the Senate, uh, and uh, the House all in Democratic control, I would not have believed you. Um, and, you know, here we are doing great. Uh, and I'm very optimistic. We've had an incredible first week. I mean, President Biden got straight to work issuing executive orders, focusing on not only kitchen table issues, uh, but certainly, you know, issues facing marginalized communities such as LGBTQ people. Um, so it's been a it's been a really great first week so far. So I, I am like many people, you know, uh, bathing my optimism in concern and worry and regret. Right. In the, we're all going through this emotional cauldron right now. Right. Where we're, you know, I've said to many people, Biden's trying to stop the bleeding right now. Um, and but he's also been, I think, surprisingly aggressive on issues that impact marginalized communities. I, I, everything from, you know, nominating uh, Deb Hemland at, 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 at Interior to, you know, making the Secretary of Defense immediately focus on trans ban and, and sexual assault. Um, you're a Democrat. There's a lot of kind of Democrat euphoria, but I think there's also this undertone of a recognition of how bad COVID is, how deep the you know, white nationalist uh, extremist insurgency problem is. So you're a person who kind of, you know, who, who is aware of both worlds. Um, you're pretty excited, though. Like there, there, there's an excitement and almost a euphoria, right? I mean, is it also a sense of relief? Can you kind of break down for you as an advocate, someone who's worked on these issues so hard? And maybe that's a good transition into, into the trans ban. You know, the trans ban is finally no more. Right. But it was so damaging and such a step backward and so you know, misunderstood and manipulated and twisted up. Like, can we talk about that in particular? Because it's something you have been such a powerful advocate on. How do you feel about that change? I feel ecstatic. Uh, but I got to tell you right off the bat, I think Americans are tired of hearing about our government oppressing marginalized communities. You know, we I think we all crave getting to the issues that affect all of us most, you know, things like putting food on the table, sending kids to college, uh, having a, li a living minimum wage, having health care. Those are the things that the country cares about deeply because it affects us on a daily basis. And whenever, you know, I would say not all not all conservatives, but I would say a good majority of them will bring up, you know, the. Uh, uh, the idea that trans rights is undermining American society or that uh, support for Black Lives Matter uh, as an affront to our, to our identity as a nation. Uh, that's nonsense, of course. Um, I think all of us, uh, well, let me back up because I can't speak for everyone in marginalized communities, but I will say that for me, I want us to get back to the issues that affect all of us, um, that directly affect our livelihoods. And whenever we can knock these little issues out uh, that affect marginalized communities like my own, we can get back to that mm. um, and focus all of our attention there. 
so for example, the first day, President Biden signed an executive order that uh, banned uh, discrimination against LGBTQ people in the federal government. Now, it only applies to federal government purview. It doesn't apply to state or local jurisdictions. So we can talk about that a little later. Uh, but it's enormous. Like it is a milestone thing. It means that, you know, uh, you know, the, the federal government cannot give funds to uh, organizations that uh, openly discriminate against LGBTQ people, uh, that uh, federal agencies uh, have to honor gender identity and sexual orientation as protected classes. I mean, that, that's, that's enormous. That's huge. And it follows what happened last June when I talked to you, because we talked, I think, either the day of or the day after uh, the Supreme Court handed down its ruling in Bostock v. Clayton County uh, that basically said that LGBTQ people cannot be discriminated against in the workplace. They can't be fired for being LGBTQ. Uh, they can't be denied employment for being LGBTQ. And that was a 6-3 conservative majority uh, that supported that. The, the Supreme Court even back then was a conservative majority in 6-3, including Chief Justice John Roberts, and uh, Neil Gorsuch voted in favor of granting uh, employment rights to LGBTQ people. So what Biden did was he took that reasoning of having gender identity and sexual orientation fall under sex as a protected class in Title VII uh, of the Civil Rights Act, and he extended it to all public policy areas under the jurisdiction of the federal government. That's enormous. Like I can't under I can't overstate how big that is. And then of course, what you just referenced uh, two days ago, President Biden officially overturned the ban on trans people in the military. Not only one of the most heinous uh, public policy uh, initiatives to see the light of day in recent memory, but also one of the most deeply unpopular. Uh, more than 70% of Americans support openly trans people in the military, including nearly half of Republican voters. I mean, it was a deeply, deeply unpopular issue. Uh, there, there was bipartisan support for overturning the ban in the House and the Senate. Um, and, and so what we're seeing right now is a realization, I think, throughout the American public that LGBTQ people are just like everybody else. We pay our taxes. We serve in the military. We have kids. We have nine to fives. We have boring ass grocery store runs. I mean, we're just like everybody else. And it would be nice to get back to those issues instead of worrying what people are doing in their own bedroom or, you know, who they're being in their own authentic skin. So, Charlotte, can you maybe personalize that the trans ban for many people felt like this thing, right? It was a policy in the military. A lot of folks didn't totally understand it. A lot of folks didn't realize that trans people had already been serving in the military probably since the beginning of time. And this was, you know, an actually, you know, kind of a, a, a rollback. Of, of existing policy, right? Can you can you personify this for what it meant for some? You were an infantry soldier in in the army. Um, you've worked closely on these issues. What did it mean for an individual from that moment that that Trump all of a sudden says trans people are not allowed in the military, and someone who's maybe in the military reading that on Twitter, right? What did it mean for that person um, between that moment, the last couple of years, and then this week? I remember the day that Trump sent out that tweet, the moment it actually, I, I, I think I saw it maybe just two minutes after he sent it out very quickly. And it didn't just feel like a slap in the face. It felt like my country was throwing me under the bus and disregarding my honorable service. Mm. You know, the US military is the largest employer of transgender and non-binary people in the world. And I'm not just talking about uniformed, trans non-binary people. I'm talking about civilians as well who work for the Department of Defense or uh, who might be contractors for the DOD. Largest employer of trans people in the world. And more than 15,000 trans people uh, were estimated to be in the military at the time that the ban went into place. More than 15,000. Many of them serving in combat zones, uh, many of them serving as uh, company grade or higher officers uh, in charge of, you know, uh, they're, I would say, uh, young people in uniform who look up to them and look to them for leadership. I mean, there was no reason to do it. Absolutely none. Um, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time talking about this, but I really, I want to emphasize this for a second, because I know some of your listeners might have heard disinformation, uh, and, and maybe in good faith, they have a different idea of what the trans ban was about. Hmm. This was literally to keep trans people out of the military. That's all it was. That's it. 
to uh, uh, basically boot anyone out who came out as trans and to bar trans people from enlisting in the military. Uh, now, the Trump administration kept going back and forth on their reasoning for this. The, initially, I think Trump's tweet said something along the lines of that it was a financial burden. Right. Here's the thing about that. Prior to the uh, policy change in uh, 2016, there was a study done by the Rand Institute in consultation with the Department of Defense that came to the conclusion that there would be little to no effect on military readiness or unit cohesion, that the uh, quote-unquote financial cost of implementing the ban, uh, or excuse me, of, of having open service for trans people would be negligible at best. Um, I believe it is less than half of a percent of the medical budget from the military for active duty folks. So we're not talking about the military budget, which is enormous. We're talking about 1%, and then you take a fraction of that. And that at most would be like the upper bound estimate. Here's what's crazy about it. Uh, it wasn't even that, because then, you know, uh, there was a study done as, the, uh, as to the actual cost of the, of the uh, open trans service over that three-year period that trans people were allowed to openly serve before Trump banned us. Uh, and it came out to something along the lines of $8 million over three years. So it was actually far less than even the lower estimate uh, that the Rand Institute came up with. So there was no goddamn reason uh, along financial lines to do this, right? So I think they, they quickly realized that. They quickly realized that argument was going to fly. So they pivoted to uh, medical issues that, you know, trans people and non-binary people would be unable to uh, uh, serve in uniform because they'd be medically unqualified. The American Medical Association came out, American Psychiatric Association, American Psychological Association, past military surgeons general. All of them came out and said there is absolutely no reason why trans non-binary people cannot serve in uniform. Uh, no medically disqualifying reason. So that, so that went away really quickly. Mm -hmm. And then they, found, they fell back on that old chestnut, the same reason that was used against men of color serving in the military, uh, the same reason uh, that was given for not uh, integrating our armed forces sooner, uh, the same reason that you know, women were kept out of the military, then kept out of combat roles, and of course, the reason that was given for uh, the justification behind Don't Ask, Don't Tell in the 90s. That old chestnut of military readiness and unit cohesion. So they thought that would be their winning argument. Well, Kirsten Gillibrand serves on the Senate Armed Services Committee and during uh, testimony for all service chiefs, so the Commandant of the Marine Corps, uh, Chief of Naval Operations, Chief of Staff in the Army, you know, all the four stars who guide our military branches testified before the Senate Armed Services Committee. And Senator Gillibrand asked them directly, so just be honest with us, because we want to make sure that we're you know, doing this right. Are, have there been any issues with trans people serving openly in the military during this period? And I think at that point, trans people had been serving for 17 or 18 months openly. Mm -hmm. And each one of them said, no, we, we've had zero issues. I mean, if, if they come up, we'll tell you, but there have been zero problems. Um, and so, you, you know, across the board, uh, from public opinion, where you know more than seventy percent of Americans were opposed to the ban, to uh, active, duty, active duty service members, the Military Times found that sixty six percent of active duty service members were opposed to the ban as well, because these were their you know these were their sisters and brothers and siblings in arms who were serving with them. Right. Um, so everyone was opposed to this. There was no rationale for it whatsoever. And so whenever someone says that, whenever they bring up these, you know, ridiculous arguments, they just want to sit them down and say, look, we have one standard in the military. Either you meet that standard or you don't. If a trans person is not meeting the standard required of them in the military, kick their ass out. Right. And I will be the first to argue for that because it should matter about the mission and getting it done and service members meeting that standard. So if they're not meeting that standard, that global standard within the military that applies to everybody, Fine. Yeah, they shouldn't serve. But if they are meeting the standard, as so many, uh, you know, as, as you know, thousands and thousands of trans people uh, are currently doing, and you know, tens of thousands have done in the past, uh, then they should be able to serve honorably. Hmm. Thank you for laying that out. Um, someone described to me that you know, DADT, the Don't Ask, Don't Tell, was kind of about keeping people shoved into the closet, uh, keeping people in the closet, right? Keep not, not letting them out of the closet. The trans ban was like taking a group of people who were already out and shoving them in the closet, 
right? And not letting them in at all, right? So it, it was it was so misunderstood and so manipulated uh, on a parallel track where they have real national security issues that are ripping unit cohesion that are costing us a lot of money, like sexual assault and sexual harassment, right? So he, they also prioritize that. And, and it's, you know, they rolled back uh, the, the Muslim travel ban, right? So it seems like they're saying to people, these things that kept people out that can add to the fabric of our country or the value of our military are being changed. And, and now the question is, can they focus in on what are, I think are the real cancers, right? And as we have this discussion, Secretary, uh, uh, nominee for VA Secretary Dennis McDonough had his hearing today. It was a patty cake uh, hearing if I ever saw one. It's the easiest confirmation hearing uh, that, that, that you'll ever see. While he was having his hearing, uh, a woman was tweeting about a sexual uh, harassment incident that happened today at a VA facility. So there's this parallel track and they didn't really get to it. Can you talk about your thoughts on uh, Biden has prioritized it in the DOD. We'll see if they prioritize it at VA, but this is a real issue that's costing us a lot of money and ripping units apart and is in my view, a kind of friendly fire, right? If, if a woman can't be safe in her own unit, how can she fight ISIS or, or anyone else? But can you talk about where you think we are? And I'm going to be a bit of a pessimist here. I don't know if Biden can get this one. Right. I don't know if they're going to maybe they're over promising a bit because this is in some ways even harder to eradicate um, within the military. So can you talk about your views on, on all that, Charlotte? Well, there has to be a culture change. And I know we've been saying that forever. Right. That's what happens every time this comes up and becomes national news. You'll have, a, 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 you know, I, I don't know. I forget all the acronyms, but, you know, it, the acronyms have changed, but it's like a SARS briefing, whatever the hell. And it basically, you know. Anyone who served in the military has been through a sexual assault and awareness briefing. And those are great. We should have those. But there has to be a cultural leadership behind that, enforcing it. It can't just be, here's a PowerPoint, read it. Okay, we're good. Check off the mark and go. Uh, it is a national security issue because if we don't have a military where service members, regardless of their gender identity or whatever the hell, feel that they can be safe in the ranks with their you know, siblings in arms, uh, then that presents a huge issue when you're downrange, have bullets flying or, you know, or on watch, uh, you have to feel like you report to someone that you don't feel safe with. I mean, that's an issue. Um, and I think what's so interesting about it is that, and then quite tragic is that it affects far more than just women, right? So women are disproportionately affected by sexual assault and harassment, but men are also affected by sexual assault and harassment in the military and their cases also go ignored. Uh, and so it's it's so interesting that we've turned this into women complaining when all the advocates that I've seen, and they are primarily women, have been saying from day one that this is a problem affecting the entire military, um, everyone regardless of gender, um, and not enough is being done about it. Now, I will tell you this, President Biden has a long history of fighting on these issues. You know, he was the one who co-authored the Violence Against Women Act. Um, he was the one who was behind the, uh, or partially behind the project that's on us to address campus sexual assault. And so I do trust him with this issue, but it's going to take more than just President mm -hmm. Biden. It's going to take our frontline leaders from our, you know, senior military commanders right down to our you know, squad leader NCOs, making sure that we're enforcing this culture of not making light of sexual assault or harassment, uh, keeping people online. And, you know, to those who would say that this somehow means that, you know, boys can't be boys in the military, well, you're goddamn right, boys can't be boys. It's the United States military. It's not a fucking frat house. <laughs> you know, we are professionals. You are professionals. And because we respect you, we, you know, expect a higher standard with your, of your conduct. The reason that, you know, service members get the GI Bill, the reason that we, you know, have all these benefits when we get out. Uh, the reason that we have this entire medical system dedicated to our health care when we leave the military is because of the sacrifice and the values that we embody and instill in each other and hold each other accountable on, right? So we have to earn that. Mm -hmm. And part of earning that is ensuring that our, that, our, that our fellow folks in the unit, our battle buddies are protected, they are dignified, and they are certainly not disrespected in the ranks. Mm. Well said. Um so I want to ask you a, a really specific question. For, you're a Democrat. I'm not going to make you speak for all Democrats, right? I'm an independent. I'm, I'm hopeful for change. I supported Biden. The alternative was catastrophic. 
And I hear a lot from Democrats that representation matters. And especially from this administration, triumphing, you know, uh, trumpeting the diversity. But it feels like there's some slips. Uh, You know, I would have been surprised by I was surprised that Merrick Garland was was chosen to run justice at a time when, you know, Black Lives Matter is is unfolding across the country. Um, I thought he would have picked a person of color in that role. But the, the one that really gets me that I think is is an insult, and I don't know, I know everybody doesn't feel this way, is representation seems to matter everywhere except at VA, mm. where we've now got a nominee who's supposed to tackle sexual assault and sexual harassment and women's issues within the VA and within a system. He's not a veteran. He's not only not a veteran, he's never worked at the VA. He's never been a patient at the VA. So he's going to run an agency that he's not even qualified to be served by. So for me, it's almost a it's a shocking and even insulting lack of representation. This idea that a guy who was a really good chief of staff could just run any agency in the government. You know, he couldn't be head of the NAACP. He, he couldn't be head of HRC. He couldn't be head of the Congressional Black Caucus. But for some reason, vets will just have to accept, you know, an East, a D.C. insider who got this job over 20 million people in this country who've served in uniform. So it. It, I don't want to put this on you, but I'm asking you as someone who's been so good about about talking about how representation matters. Um, he's going to go through. It's going to be a hundred to nothing. Maybe I'm the only guy making a big stink about this. But when I talk to veterans outside of Washington, they don't even know that they, they thought you had to be a veteran to be considered for this. They thought it was a pre-qualification for mm-hmm. this job. And the only other person who wasn't uh, wasn't a veteran was Shulkin, who was a doctor there for a long time. So he was at least closer to it. So what do you think of all this, Charlotte? I mean, maybe, maybe I'm asking you to be my therapist here, but like, help me, help me <laughs> as someone who's been so good about representation, why doesn't representation matter here? And maybe should, am I making too much out of it? I don't think you're making too much out of it. So, so, you know, I, I, when I first heard the name, I was a little annoyed as well um, because I do think a veteran should be in that position. If there's nothing, if there's no other alternative, um, you know, but, but but always prioritize veterans to lead the VA, hands down. Then again, I'll be honest with you. I think that a veterans should be prioritized for the presidency. I think veterans should be prioritized for the Department of Defense. And I know that's controversial. Now, President Obama was incredible. I would vote for him again. Um, he, he had a phenomenal two terms. Hmm. Um, not a veteran. Uh, but he did well. He did with our, well with our military, but I think he's also extraordinary. He, he's an extraordinary mind. He uh, has you know, profound empathy and nuance for our military, and Michelle Obama was a huge champion of our troops. Um, so he's one of the rare exceptions. But in general, I don't think that someone should be in a position where they can send troops to war without having served first. Mm. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think there are some incredible civilian leaders who have stuck up for our military, whether it's Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, Elizabeth Warren's been fantastic. You know, there are others, but that's just my, you know, my yeah. general feeling. However, here's what I'll say for the VA. I have a veteran's hat that I wear and I have a political strategist hat. Now, my veteran's hat tells me this is fucked up. <laughs> you know, a veteran should be leading the VA. However, I think we both know the VA is is very broken right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we have seen uh, over the past, I would say, 20 years, uh, well, you know, uh, uh, invasion of Iraq starts in 2003. Uh, well, no, no, because we, we, you know, we launched uh, uh, operations against Afghanistan in 2001. So we're entering the, tw- entering the 20, 20 years, yep. 20th year of the war on terrorism, global war on terrorism. Um, even if it's not officially called that anymore, it absolutely is the you know global war on terrorism. Twenty years now, and we're not really doing a whole lot better. Uh, you know, there are still horror stories of people dealing with the VA, mm. and a lot of these problems were exacerbated under secretaries that were veterans themselves. Yeah. So here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. I want a political animal. Because I think the VA is a black hole. I was actually really glad that Pete Buttigieg did not go to, did not go to the VA. Even though he served downrange, he deployed, he you know uh, was an officer in uniform, I didn't think it was a good role for him. Mm-hmm. I think we need someone who is a DC animal, who knows the systems inside and out, who knows how to get funding, who has a large network, who has influence. And you can't do a whole lot better than a former presidential chief of staff. So mm-hmm. 
Here's what I'll say for Dennis McDonough. I hope he realizes that right from the start, despite his good intentions, he's already on thin ice. He doesn't have a lot of room to mess up here, especially in regards to how he represents veterans and how he talks to us and uh, ensures that our needs are being met. But I'm willing to give him a chance because something's got to give. We can't keep continuing to treat the VA like this, forgive me, but a largely ceremonial post. Mm. Because that's what it's felt like, honestly. Yeah. We need someone to get in there with brass knuckles and, you know, take the system to where it needs to be. And the only person who can do that is someone who understands how these things work. I hear you on that. I hear, I hear you on a lot of that. That The challenge I have was today's hearing was totally uninspiring, unimaginative. Yeah, we need someone to go in and rip it apart and keep it in check, but we also need someone to make it relevant and someone to make it a mission and someone to call out to our community and say, join me in this fight. Right. If Tammy Duckworth, for example, had been in that hearing today and said, I'm going to take on military sexual assault, I'm going to take on burn pits, I'm going to take and everybody come with me. Right. I promise you, I'm going to lead the fight. Everybody, millions of veterans would sign up to join the VA like it was a newly created Peace Corps. Right. There was this inspirational opportunity that was missed. And I think the ceremonial stuff is actually what, what worries me. When we have Arlington, the visual of Tammy Duckworth with no legs laying the wreath on behalf of our community versus what now will be a Washington suit laying the wreath on our behalf because you couldn't find anybody qualified in our community. And really, I want to take one last piece of this with you because I know you'll you'll, you'll be able to react to it in a way that's powerful. Some of the stuff he said was like, I know a veteran. I love veterans. My best friends are veterans, right? My football coach was a veteran. If anybody had said, you know what, I'm going to lead the trans community. Yeah. And I have a friend who's trans. I knew someone who was trans. My football coach was trans. They'd be laughed out of the room. So I actually think the political part of this is maybe what bothers me the most about what Biden missed here. Like he missed a chance to show all of us what we can become. Instead, he said, there wasn't a single one of you qualified. So I got this guy to take care of you for you. It was really patronizing and insulting. And I don't know. Part of why I want to talk to you about this is because there's an identity politics of this that I don't think they could have gotten away with that shit with any other group in America. <laughs> well, they do. <laughs> I guess they do. I Just to be clear, do. like, like you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But, you know, right? I mean, there are. Oh, God. You know, we, we won't get into this. Yeah. Too much, but <laughs> so let me ask you this. Let me try. I had sure, to get that right, off my right. chest. You're fine. But let me let me let me ask your frustration is warranted, right? Yeah, I I think, you know, and I'm okay with being the only noisy voice on this, because as uh, I you know, was going back and forth, folks on Twitter, you know, five of the nine VA secretaries have gone down in scandal more than half. Okay, they have a worse record than the the coaches of the the Detroit Lions. I mean, they go through somebody basically every year or two. And this is an agency that's only been around since the 80s. So if they were around longer, who knows what it would look like. But um, but he's also got to be a part of stomping out white nationalism, which is which is ripping through the veterans community. An NPR report this week said one in five of the of the terrorists who attacked the Capitol had served in the military. So I worry also, Charlotte, that he won't be able to speak to us, to tell us not to be radicalized, to help convert people who might go to the other side, to help make a persuasive argument about why he and Biden can be a part of the future. So let me bring it back to to this this issue that maybe is the most imminent threat to marginalized communities and all Americans, which is this domestic insurgency, white nationalism, the Proud Boys. You've been in the military. You've defended many of the people that these folks want to eliminate. Um, what, what's your view on, on where we are and maybe how serious is the threat in your view to you personally and to the country? It's a serious threat, and it's been a serious threat for a long time. Uh, I think it was in 2009 that former um, Secretary of Homeland Security, Janet Napolitano, uh, was, you know, oversaw the release of a report uh, that pointed out the current of white nationalism among veterans uh, and in some active duty military. And this was led by the FBI, I believe, uh, who who helped compile this report. Um, And 
you know, this is someone, uh, Secretary Napolitano, deeply respects our troops, has always, always supported in military, military families. But, you know, she released this report, which was, I thought, a rather powerful, you know, mirror that she was holding up. Uh, and she was immediately forced to apologize for it. This was in 2009. She had to apologize for it a couple of times and say that she was not saying that our troops were racist, that uh, she was not diminishing the service of uh, folks in the military. It was just complete bullshit. You know, anyone who read the report or could see what she was trying to do, you know, could have taken it in good faith and saw that, yes, Anyone who has served in the military knows that there are white nationals in the military. Right. There were right. white nationals in my basic training class. Right. There was a guy with, uh, I, I want to say, some kind of obscure, um, you know, Reich, uh, you know, Third Reich tattoo or whatever. There were, you know, I heard the N-word a couple times when I was serving. You know, racists are in the military. And it just, it, it, it completely astound, astonishes me that anyone who has served could claim otherwise. So these guys, uh, and they're they're almost all men. Um, they you know get this training on how to kill people, and then they get out, um, and they're able to utilize that training against vulnerable communities, and like we saw, attack our U.S. Capitol. Now, I want to be clear to folks: I'm not saying the military is bad. I'm not saying defund the military or abolish the military. That's not what I'm saying. I'm a proud military veteran. I believe we need a strong national defense, um, but we also need better accountability over the training that we do uh, and over the people that are accepted into the military. And we need a better cultural change for how systemic racism is dealt with within the military, because clearly it's not working. As you pointed out, Paul, uh, one, in, one in five, one in five of the folks involved in the attack on the U.S. Capitol were veterans, mm -hmm. less than a percent of Americans serve. So 20 times more veterans were involved in the attack on the U.S. Capitol than civilians. That's that's incredibly goddamn worrisome. Yep. Everyone, especially and especially people who served, should be asking ourselves, what can we do to change this? Because this is going to be uh, continue to be a problem down the road. Yeah, I'm so glad you 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 broke it down that way. I mean, and this is frankly part of why I'm concerned about Dennis McDonough, because he's going to have to be the single most visible, important spokesperson for our community. I mean, John McCain's dead, right? Like a lot of high profile veterans are gone. There are very few of them in the Senate. So the country kind of defaults to the VA secretary on Memorial Day, on July 4th, on, help us understand what this means. This is the person who goes around and talks to every news agency in the country and speaks to colleges, help us explain it. It's gonna be really hard for that person to also be, be hard on our community in a way that 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 he can't because he's not from it. He's going to walk on on eggshells sometimes. He's going to be afraid to call us out on the things we need to be called out on. And he's going to have a really hard time explaining the all of it. So um, I think it's a really, really important inflection point for all of these issues. And that's part of why I wanted to talk to you, because I feel like this is a moment in the last couple of weeks where I, I hope that that you and so many other activists feel seen feel appreciated, right? Like you weren't invited to the Christmas party. <laughs> now you're, 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 you're back in you're and you're represented and you're, and you're, and you're understood and you're appreciated and you're respected. And that change is overdue um, and needed, but, but finally happening. So let me, let me transition into something Can I else. Real quick, um, just for your peace of mind, because I don't disagree with you on the importance of having a veteran in the post. Like yeah. I, I do want a veteran in the post. I will say, Dennis McDonough did not get this job because he's a DC insider or uh, because, you know, he knows people uh, and he asked for favors or strung it together. That's not how he got the job. Dennis McDonough could be on a court on several corporate boards right now, making tens of millions of dollars a year. He doesn't really need this. And in fact, I'll be honest with you, the, Secretary of the VA job really just sucks. It just <laughs> yeah, does. no, that's true. That's part of that, but that's part of how he got it. Part of how he got it is because Buttigieg said no, Tammy yeah. Duckworth said no. They go way down the list, and then and they're like, okay, we got a guy who'll take the job, right? That's not a great way to find someone to run the second largest agency in the federal government, right? Right. So, but, but the way you framed up the issues are what I think we're going to need from the yeah. VA secretary, and since we don't have that, we're going to need your voice and so many others. So this is going to be a weird transition, but I, I, you've been getting a lot of 
overdue recognition in the last couple of weeks. And I think the country is kind of recognizing how important fighters like you were to help us survive this onslaught for the last four years. Right. And now, you know, the, the, the Godzilla's down. We're all coming out. We're like, okay, we've got to figure out how to rebuild this ship. But this person and this person, this person helped take Godzilla down. Right. And you're one of those people. As are you, gotta, by the way. Thank you. Well, I, like I, I told people four years ago, it's Godzilla. We all got to work together and knock this motherfucker out. That's right. Because he's going to destroy Tokyo and everything else. Save <laughs> Tokyo. But but you've been getting some interesting phone calls. So as an activist, uh, I, I love seeing you get appreciated, right? For for the hard work you've done. Can you talk about a very interesting phone call you got that you were you were tweeting about? I did. You know, last night uh, I'm up to my eyeballs in work. I was about to go on a virtual panel that I was preparing for and I was trying to finish independently, trying to finish some edits on an op-ed I was writing. So I had a million things going on at once and uh, my, my phone rings and it's an unknown number. And I almost I almost never answer those because it's never a good idea. Uh, but I thought it was a, a comms person. Um, and so I answer the phone and it's like, hi, this is Elizabeth. And I'm like, uh, and I, I didn't recognize her voice at, uh, initially. And so I'm like, uh, Elizabeth? She's like, oh, it, it's Elizabeth Warren. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, my next door neighbor, Elizabeth Warren. How you doing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, was, I was so blown away by her. I mean, this is the second time I've talked to her on the phone, by the way. Uh, she called last year during the campaign because I, I raised a ton of money for her campaign and she called to thank me. Um, but she is just... So she, she has no heirs. Hmm. Yeah, I look, I live in DC. I talk to a lot of politicians. I've met a lot of politicians. If you if there's a politician you can name, I've probably met them, uh, especially on the Democratic side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of them are great people. Um, some of them are a little performative. They don't really know how to talk mm-hmm. to LGBTQ people. Some don't know how to talk to veterans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a little discomfort there. With Elizabeth Warren, there's no discomfort. Mm-hmm. What did she say, Charlotte? Why did, why was she calling and what did she say? She was calling me uh, to let me know that she had seen President Biden overturn the uh, trans ban uh, and, you know, put that executive order in place banning discrimination against LGBTQ people in the federal government. And she called me to congratulate me uh, as part of my role in it. And I wasn't, you know, I was one of thousands of activists who worked on this. So I want to be clear about that. Um, and I'm sure she called other people. Uh, but she called me to thank me for that. But here's what's key. She said, I want you to know that I'm celebrating alongside you. And I know there's a lot of work left to be done for LGBTQ people. I'm going to be I'm going to be in with you with this fight moving forward uh, until it's done. And and that's who Elizabeth Warren is. Mm-hmm. She wanted to talk to me uh, about, uh, you know, the work I did. But it also let me know that she's not done. <laughs> she's not resting on her laurels. She wants to make sure that we finish the damn job because that's what she does. Elizabeth Warren gets the job done. I I love that story. I love that you got that call. I'm a big fan of Elizabeth Warren. I've been around her, worked with her on issues and so impressed by how smart she is. And one thing that, that I said consistently about her campaign is I don't know if any candidate learned faster and got better along the campaign. She's so smart. She's she's almost like a computer brain that keeps getting it's an AI that keeps getting smarter, right? Every month on the trail, she got better and stronger and faster and more relatable. She just kept improving. And that was really, really noteworthy. But I think she's a person of integrity. She's a fighter. You know, she did the consumer um, um, protection board for so long, fighting for people who had been discriminated against. So I was glad she got that call. You are not running for office. I wish you were, but you do have a new job, which when I saw, I was like, okay, that's not what I was expecting. So can you tell folks what, what is your new job and what is your new mission? Well, you know, I, I, am glad you brought that up. You know, I had been thinking about running for office last year. I almost ran for Congress and I pulled out at the last minute. Uh, and the reason being was that I just didn't think I was ready. Um, uh, I, I would have to move back to Texas, uh, and I love Texas, but I just, you know, it didn't feel right to move back just to run for office. Mm-hmm. If you should be in a community, helping people, knowing the folks uh, before you run for office. Um, and so I've been trying to figure out what to do. And this opportunity came along that I couldn't pass up. Uh, so I will be starting on Monday as the new director of communications at Catholics for Choice. Uh, it is, you know, the only Catholic-led organization 
that is pro uh, uh, pro choice, pro LGBTQ, pro equality. They fight for reproductive health, for abortion care, uh, and for not you know, you know for making sure that no vulnerable community is left behind. And what I really love about this organization is the team is just so wonderful. We're all people of faith. You know, I'm a Christian. I go to church. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the people on this team, the faith is very important to them. And as long as I have been a progressive, as long as I have been a person of faith, I have found that the intersection of those two things is sometimes very hard to find because the national narrative seems to be that it's conservatives who are very religious and it's progressives who are very anti-religious. And that's, that's, that's completely absurd mm. on every level. Um, you know, and I'm, uh, there are, there are people of faith who are conservative. There are people of faith who are progressive. Um, some, you know, some on, uh, some on the left are wrong. Some on the right happen to be right on some issues, you know? And, and what I really don't like is when religion is weaponized against people. Mm. And the, and one of the forms that takes is when we so deeply align political ideology with spirituality. And I don't like that at all. So, mm. uh, this new job will allow me to, uh, really use my, you know, deep commitment to my own religious values, um, you know, taking care of uh, the poor and the meek, uh, making sure that folks have health care, uh, you know, really kind of living as Christ commanded us to love one another um, and applying that to reproductive health, because there are so many people in this country who are about to be made even more vulnerable with the assaults on reproductive health mm. in our federal court system right now. Mm. And that's not good at all. And I'm not just mm. talking about I'm just talking about individual women, and that should be important yeah. enough. I'm talking about everybody. Mm. You know, families have to plan for the future, and these decisions should be left up to the person who is pregnant and to their family and to their doctor. That's Those are the folks who should have any input at all, and, of course, the choice should be left with the person who's pregnant. Um, so that's my spiel. I love it. Uh, I love so it. excited for this. I love it. It was totally, you know, not what I was expecting in the next move, but that's part of why I love it. Is it such an important intersection, especially given we have only the second Catholic president in history? My, my mother-in-law was giving everybody in the house an instructional about what it was like when Kennedy got elected because I was raised Catholic. My mother-in-law is Catholic. So, you know, th this is really this is a part of Biden's story that I don't think people are fully appreciating or understanding yet as we start to see him go to mass every Sunday. And and a Catholic in the White House is going to be very different from what we had before. But you're going to be at a really important intersection point. You always are. Since you're a returning guest, I have one, as we'd say in the military, one alibi, one last question I've got to ask you okay. uh, that I ask of all our returning guests. I'm not going to ask you about whiskey or cars this time, but I will ask you a very important question. There is no third party option. You must choose one. Oh. Charlotte Clymer, pancakes or waffles? Oh gosh. Pancakes. Pancakes. Uh, just, oh my God, the warm fluffiness of pancakes. <laughs> You know, here's what I like to do when I make pancakes. I like to like put them against my my face a little bit to feel the warmth. It's like this all encompassing. Oh, it feels so good. I know that's a little. That's good. That's gonna be like so a weird. new novelty, like a new special kind of massage. You know, they have like the music <laughs> massage and then the hot rocks massage. They give you a pancakes massage. There's what gonna be somebody who does this shit. Was that what topping for your pancakes? All of them. <laughs> All of that. I, I took my son, I took my son to IHOP for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and we ate at in the IHOP parking lot with my mother because we were socially distancing. And my son was like, "This is the greatest place on earth," <laughs> and I said, "Yes, yeah, that's right. We are the country of IHOP, and now you know of Joe Biden and of and of Charlotte Clymer. We are a country of innovation and invention and and warmth and power." But I appreciate you so much. Let me ask you quickly: You're great at pop culture. Anything you're reading or watching or listening to that you love that you want other people to, 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 to consume? Yes, I do. Um, since I'm on this show and I want to, I want to give out a show that I think will be have mass appeal um, for all mankind on Apple TV Yes, uh, is one of the best shows I've seen in recent memory. Uh, so okay. the first episode, you'll be a little taken aback. And then as it goes on, and I, I, I don't care what your political ideology is. I don't care if you're a Republican listening to this, okay. Democrat, whatever. I think everyone will get into this show. It is amazing. It's about the space race in the 60s, except it's an alternate history. The Soviets re that reached the moon first, and then the space race is amplified by that. And, and, and it, it, it unfolds in ways that you would not expect at all. It's very it. inspiring. And I, I actually felt very 
patriotic watching it. Like, yeah, I'm proud to be an American watching this. Mm. This is great because it really reflected well on the ways we could go as a country if we came together and put aside all this bullshit partisanship. Mm. Well, Can I also point out real quick, yes. Paul, um, we have a Catholic president, a Catholic speaker of the house, a Catholic chief justice, and the Senate majority leader is Jewish. That has never been done before. We have never had that combination. Uh, there, there, so basically there are no Protestant Christians like my, I'm a Protestant Christian. There are no mm. Protestant Christians uh, leading the government for the first time wow. in their history. Well, my, my Catholic grandmother, God bless her, uh, would be very happy to hear that. Uh, <laughs> another podcast, I'll have to explain how I was kicked out of CCD uh, at some point um, is a long story behind sure. that. But, uh, but you represent the best of what this country is all about. I am so grateful for all your advocacy. I don't want to say congratulations because I think that's not, I want to say thank you. Thank you for making our country better. Thank you for all the fights you're fighting. Thank you for making this a better country for my kids and my grandkids who will one day come here. You're a fighter and you've made this country better and you are part of the reason we survived this last four years and why we're going to thrive in the years ahead. So thank you for all you do. Thank you. Thank you to you and your listeners. Uh, it's an angry nation. Of, of Everyone's angry. Let's put the anger to work. Let's work together. You got it. You got it. Until then, pancakes and lots of TV yes. and, and hopefully more calls from celebrity uh, electeds. You're amazing. The great and powerful Charlotte Climber. Stay frosty and stay vigilant, my friend. Yes, sir. I love Charlotte. She's a fighter, a helper, and a hero. And again, this is a time to keep breathing, people. So take a deep breath. Do it with me. Maybe we'll keep doing this in every episode. It's good stuff. Breathing is good. We need to keep breathing. Gotta keep breathing. Gotta keep cool. Just ask Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. They kept breathing. And they're going to the Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl is happening. While I'm amazed that the NFL pulled off a whole season, and I'm not crazy about them having fans in the stands, the Super Bowl is coming. And the NFL is sending 7,500 healthcare workers who have been vaccinated for the coronavirus free tickets to the Super Bowl. So they're going to go to Tampa Bay, Florida. And the NFL will be celebrating the helpers. And that's a good thing. Because now, more than ever, we got to keep looking for those helpers. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. They're out there, people. And many of you listening are the helpers. And if you're not, it's time to be a helper. We need all the helpers we can get to get through this winter and get our country back on track. And my thanks to all the helpers that are out there, especially everyone on the front lines, in the hospitals, in the military, riding in ambulances, in schools, holding the line, getting out the vaccine. The winter is full-blown and the mayhem of the virus is here. And many of you are answering the call. You're out in the cold. You're making hard choices, making big sacrifices, and you are appreciated. Stay strong out there. You are the helpers. And my thanks to all the helpers that made this episode possible. Thank you to Charlotte Clymer. Be sure to follow her on Twitter. She's CM Clymer. That's Charlie Mike Clymer on Twitter. She's also on Substack. If you don't know what Substack is, it's a great way to hear from voices that you trust or you want to learn more about. So check out Charlotte Clymer on Substack, Politics, Puns, and Playfulness. It's just 7 bucks a month or $70 annually. And she said on Twitter she encourages drunk purchases of paid subscriptions to her Substack. So it's $7 a month, and it's well worth the investment. You'll support an important voice, and you will learn quite a bit. My thanks also to the incredible Righteous Media team, Mighty Mercy Rich, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz. My thanks to the helpers that make up our fearless Patreon crew. 
They continue to power this show and everything we're doing at Righteous Media. You can join that community. If you look for Angry Americans on Patreon, just chip in at five bucks a month and you can help keep this show and the dispatches and all the good stuff we've got at Righteous Media coming. You're supporting independent media. You're supporting what we're doing. And you can be a part of a community that takes you behind the scenes and will give you access to upcoming events online and eventually in person. So check us out on Patreon and join the crew. And if you like this episode, go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us five stars. Be sure to subscribe for free and share. You can find us everywhere on social media using the hashtag AngryAmericans or go to AngryAmericans.us where you can see video of this episode and all 97 that came before it. I'll have a new show for you next Thursday, maybe something sooner. Watch out on our social media and sign up to our newsletter for alerts. And we've got other new shows coming in 2021. Righteous Media has got a lot of stuff in the hangar and pretty soon it's going to take flight, so stay tuned. And my massive thanks to the biggest helpers of all in my life, my wife and my two boys. Winter is here. We've gotten a lot of snow at our undisclosed location and we're sledding a lot. My son is learning to play chess. We're watching lots of football and I am happy to report that I will square off in the family playoff pool final of the Super Bowl versus both my sons. I got the Chiefs and they got the Bucks and we are going to clash in the Super Bowl. The teams are picked out of a hat, and it was totally random, but it's me versus my boys. But beyond that, we're always on the same team, and my son is supposed to go back to school in person next week. But we'll see. That could change in any moment. But to all of you that are working in the schools especially, you are the helpers, and we're grateful for you. And to all of you in the hospitals and the front lines creating change, all of you are the heroes we need. My hero... My hero now. We need heroes to multiply and fight the bad guys and deliver the vaccine. And the vaccine is coming, so hang in there. Every week I'm hearing from more and more people who've got it. It's providing hope, it's providing health, and it's providing inspiration. So hang in there. And we'll continue to adapt, improvise, and overcome in my family, on this show, within the righteous media community, and as a country. So stay tuned, subscribe for free and share, and we will keep this movement growing week by week by week. It's still okay to be angry, even now. And know you're not alone, because we're all a little angry. But it's bigger than that now. And that's because we're all paying attention. And we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay frosty, even in the winter. And stay vigilant, America. Broken people, they go where we go now.